Talks Between Two Wings. I'm your host, Emily Norman, and today I'm chatting with the aerial coordinator and stunt pilot, uh, Kevin LaRosa. He's worked on many of my favorite films, such as Transformers, Iron Man, and more recently, he has worked on every pilot's favorite movie, Top Gun Maverick. Kevin, thank you so much for joining our show today. Thanks for having me, Emily. So we like to start off each episode by talking about our backgrounds. Um, I don't know if you remember, but this is the shot that, you know, we did together while filming Top Gun Maverick. Probably one of the best flights I've ever done in my entire life. Um, but what have you got behind you? Uh, yeah, that's actually a pretty cool shot. That's my good friend, Walleye, who's uh, a Blue Angel pilot, ex-Blue Angel at this point. Um, but anytime we needed to fly below 100 feet AGO, we'd bring in a blue. And Walleye was the blue we brought in, and he did some incredible flying. The shot you see behind my head right now is how we rehearsed to do the shot of Ed Harris pulling up and getting dusted by the Dark Star uh, when Pete Maverick Mitchell uh, takes off when he may not be supposed to be taking off in that aircraft. Uh, we had a Top Gun rule. We could never shoot a, a fake airplane or fake sky, rather. And we couldn't just shoot a plate, if you will, and then put in an airplane later. We had to have a subject aircraft. And I know aviators who are listening to this and people who just appreciate real movies will love that. So to get that shot of the dark star taking off, that was walleye here over my head. And this is us practicing the day before to make sure that we made the right amount of dust and we didn't destroy Ed Harris. Uh, we destroyed the set next to him by accident. That's another story we can get into, but that's what that's from. So starting off there, you said that if you're flying you know, below a hundred foot AGL, you had to bring in a blue. What, what's the reasoning behind that? because the blues practice it day in and day out. They're used to that uh, low altitude running. Um, they also, there's something mechanical about it, which is kind of cool that I learned is the blue angels have a stick force via a spring that's installed on their stick that adds downforce. And then they're able to pull against that down force. So in an aircraft that has a neutral stick, meaning no pull forward, no pull aft, we have this null zone. We don't even realize it. You don't realize it unless you're a blue angel and you're yeah. inches away from something. Um, but they're so close and they fly with such a level of precision that it's, it's much more precise to have a pull forward. And then they're modulating against that pull. They could be much more precise. Hence using a blue angel who practices down below hundred all the time and had that spring installed on that jet. Yeah. So going into a little bit of the coordination there, I mean, we can even just use this scene as an example, if there's one that you like to talk about, um, you know, what's the process between or from the planning to the execution to even the debriefing um, afterwards. Love that. Uh, what we see on screen, we see that cinematic gold and most people don't realize the months and if not years with this movie that went into planning for it. Uh, and not all planning where we're gonna film it, how we're gonna film it, bringing in the right people, the right assets, so on and so forth. So to answer your question, it takes a village and it takes an, a lot of time. By the time we got out there in the jets, uh, everything was a well-oiled machine. Um, in our business, I'm, I'm an aviator, but I'm also a filmmaker. I get to mix my two passions. So we say prep hard, shoot easy. And there's a lot of truth to that. So the briefings are very meticulous. Um, the ranges we're working, the areas we're working, working with the locations department, um, the director of photography and the aerial director of photography, they're meticulous in the lighting I mean, there's so many details we don't even think about as pilots, like the sun has to be over here at five o'clock. And this person, you know, that he needs to have five degrees left wing down. So we match the last shot. I mean, there's all these little details that we don't think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you want to make a movie as perfect as Top Gun Maverick, 
and have everything be as accurate as possible, you got to think of all those things. And I can't do that by myself. I can hardly think of all the things I need to think about. I had a giant team uh, and I had naval counterparts that I was working with that helped us make these shots. So tons of planning went into every single shot. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, half the time whenever I'm flying, I'm just trying to fly an airplane and not also make a movie that has been highly anticipated and waited on by aviators for, I don't know, lots of years. Um, so I can imagine there's there's just so much that goes into that. Um, and speaking of, you know, in the film industry, there's lots of takes. There's lots of editing. There's redoing things. And I can imagine repositioning for a certain shot you can't just walk back and say, okay, let's run it again. You have to reposition aircraft. You have to get all this together. Um, any specific moments, especially with Top Gun, that, you know, there was maybe some struggles there or just anything you can share? Yeah, I mean, I want to hit on something you just said is you can't just walk back and do another take. You know, when you're filming in jets, and I, I've been a jet, uh, you know, pilot for the camera and movie business for a long time. Um, you're flying at 250 or 350 knots on the slow side. So when you get in the area, you want to do a take in, whether it's some ground objects, rocks, mountains, lighting, whatever you get in that area and you say action and you do it when you're done, you've traveled a good amount of distance. You got to turn around and come back and make a upwind crosswind base, whatever you do all that stuff to get back in that zone. And you're right. You can't just go take after take after take because you're going to travel away from some preferred background or some preferred clouds you like. So imagine the time it takes in the air when you're in jets, you got to find the spot you want to use and then you got to keep reattacking that spot. And of course, lighting changes. Mm -hmm. So we have a finite amount of time. Uh, again, that's why the briefings are so important. We go up, you know, we typically think we're going to get between three and seven takes of a particular shot. Uh, if you're doing more than seven takes, something's just not working. You're beating yourself up, making everybody tired. Uh, it's best to just get on the ground, debrief, look at the, footage and see how to make it better. And in Top Gun Maverick, we really excelled everywhere from the ground story, you know, first team to the aerial unit of never settling for a mediocre shot. We were never just going to be okay. Even a great shot. There were times where there was a shot that was amazing, but Joe Kaczynski, our wonderful director, or Tom himself would say, you know what, we can make that a little better. We can go out there and make that more dynamic, more epic, more crazy, bigger, wilder. And that's what we would do. And you know, I remember working on specific scenes of the movie for days, and that's why it looks awesome. Joseph Kaczynski came out and said they shot 800 hours of aerial footage, 800 okay. hours. It like hurts my head to think about that. Um, but really what they did is they chose the 1% cinematic gold, and that's what we see on the big screen. And that's the painstaking effort of all the onboard cameras, internal cameras in the F-18s, the Cinejet that I flew, the Phenom that I flew, the helicopter, the ground photography. There's so much footage uh you know there's a joke running joke that they need to make something called top gun extreme which would be you know kind of tailored towards aviators mm. and it would just be all the epic footage that you know they didn't have time to put in the movie and people would buy I'd buy it. yeah i know awesome. a lot of people <laughs> would um, pay for a personal like collection framed in some shadow box to put in their living room or something with all yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great so i mean 800 hours of aerial you know filming uh, you touched on, you know, fatigue hitting, you know, a scene seven times, maybe there's just like a lot going on and it kind of reverts back to, you know, as pilots, we know there's internal pressures. There's also external pressures, you know, even talking about the I'm safe checklist, like, am I too tired? Am I sick today? But then you also have the Hollywood pressure as well, that 
we need to get this movie out and you know, this isn't my area of expertise, but maybe X amount of days, or we need to get this shot out before we can move on to this. What were, how are some of the ways that you guys help mitigate those pressures? And, you know, obviously this movie was very aviation forward. I can assume that there was a lot of, um, you know, comfort put towards the pilots and all of that, but even with other, other movies as well, you know, how you mitigate some of that. Well, it's a very excellent point. And, you know, I would say that there's people that are going to watch this that have more dangerous jobs and more stressful jobs than we do. At the end of the day, we're making pretty pictures of airplanes at the at the lowest point. We're not saving lives necessarily. We're not, you know, out there first responders. So there are industries in aviation that have much more stressful jobs than what we do. However, you bring up a great point. There's a lot of money being spent. There's a lot of things riding on the success of the film. And just the fact that we're making Top Gun Maverick and it's a sequel to an iconic historic movie and we can't mess that up. So yeah, there's perceived pressure all over the place. How did we deal with that? We dealt with it with the same way other pilots and aviators and professionals deal with it. We would talk about it. We would identify it and we would figure out if we were safe to fly. That's why I love that you brought that up. Uh, every day we would brief to every extent of everything we could do, contingencies and safeties. But at the end of those briefs, my favorite part was how are we all feeling today? Mm -hmm. Did you sleep? Do you have any things going on at home? Um, are you in it? Do we feel like an effective team today? Whenever I say that, I think of Oblivion, another Tom Cruise movie that I love. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we did that. And, you know, there were definitely a few times throughout the movie where we were just really working hard and we had to identify it and go, okay, Maybe I do one sortie today, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe we spend a little bit more time briefing here and figuring this out. So I think with anything in this industry, uh, you drop your ego mm -hmm. and you identify it and you say, Hey, I'm tired. I'm not thinking clear. My head's fuzzy because when you go out in the aircraft, you got to be sharp and you got to be tight. Uh, and there's really no room for that as, as we all know. Um, but there was definitely a risk in my job. Um, I wasn't just the camera pilot in the movie. My job was the aerial coordinator. I was in charge of all the aerials on the whole movie. Um, and the studios hired me, uh, not because I make their dreams a reality or whatever you want to say, but here's the weird kicker is I know how to say no. Mm -hmm. um, I know how to say, hey, my guys are tired. Uh, we, we need some time to figure this out or no, we're not going to do that. That's too dangerous. And my job is to make sure we all land safely at the end of the day. Um, and I did that multiple times in the movie. That's also my job is to say, can't do that, but we could do it this way. Um, so that's how we would do it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and kind of diving into the industry a little bit. I mean, you've been around this since childhood, it seems like it runs in your family. Your dad did the same thing. What was that like? And I assume that's obviously how you got into it. Um, but just tell us about growing up around this. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky that I was a third generation pilot. So aviation ran in my family, second generation aerial coordinator and stunt pilot. And it's such a rare job to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but as a kid growing up with your dad, my dad was the airwolf pilot and, and did all these amazing movies, hundreds of movies over the years. He was my idol. I idolized him. Um, and he had this, this great sense about him. He flew jets and helicopters and airplanes and I loved what he did. I love that he created things that then I could see on TV and in the movies. And I was drawn to it. And I wanted to do that. Um, and I grew up at the airport. I'm an airport kid. He owned an aviation business. And every day after school, I was running around the ramp. I always had dirty hands and oil and 
was always polishing airplanes and doing things. That was my life. I lived and breathed aviation. I love the smell of avgas and jet fuel. I'm an aviation fanatic through and through. Um, but my core passions handed down from my dad are filmmaking and aviation. And I mix those two into what I call motion picture aviation. And, uh, and I get to do that for a living. And I'll say this, you know, I, I was afforded a lot of great opportunities and I tried to take advantage of all of them. And I was working on set with my father as a teenager. I was driving fuel trucks and I was cleaning windows and I wasn't a pilot yet on set, but I was on set and I knew what I wanted to do. And I was so close to it. I, it was right there. I just needed to grow up and get older and get more experienced. Um, and he did something wild and he did it incredibly. He told a teenager who knew everything in the world at 17 years of an age that, hey, you have to stop doing what you love. It's time for you to leave and go do your own thing. And I don't want to do that. I'm, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. Uh, and I reluctantly took his advice. And it was the best advice. I, I always say that advice saved my life because I would have grown up and nobody would have trusted me. I just would have been a junior, Kevin LaRosa II, no hours. Why would anybody fly with me, let alone do stunts with me? Um, so anyway, I did a lot of jobs. I flew traffic watch Cessnas and traffic watch helicopters, news helicopters, medical helicopters. I did jet charter. I did all these different things, but I always was using my vacation days and my sick days and off days to stay in the industry and work with my dad. So I never left it fully. Um, and I was 27 years old, I think, when I had about 5,000 hours mixed between jet helicopter and airplane. That's when I made the leap of faith to come back. And I'm so glad I took that advice. And my advice for any aviator who's listening to this, um, you know, we may have the end goal of what we want to do as a pilot. We may have that dream. Just know that there's a lot of different jobs that we're going to do. We're going to fly a lot of people we don't like flying with and work for a lot of people we don't want to work for. Use every bit of that experience, all the bad stuff, all the good stuff that's going to make you your own aviator and make you successful later on. And there were plenty of jobs I didn't necessarily enjoy doing. And I flew with people I didn't want to fly with, but I always kept my eye on the prize of what I wanted to become one day. Uh, and it worked out. Yeah. That's definitely something I think that all of us aviators should appreciate a bit more. Like we learned how to debrief a flight and we can really transition that into anything we're doing in life. Like what, what are the takeaways? What can we learn from this, from debriefing, you know, a social encounter, a flight of something that happened at work. Um, I think it's a, it's a really great skill that we either naturally have or are forced to learn very quickly. So all good things. There. Well, here's what's interesting about that skill, Emily, is, and, and this, I'm talking to myself here. We're never going to be amazing at that. We all have egos, right? I have an ego and learning how to drop your ego at the door after in a debrief and go, I really messed that up or I screwed that up or I you know, almost hit you, whatever. You've got to learn how to say those things and they're embarrassing but nothing feels better at the end of it when you're with your you know, comrades or other pilots. And it's, hey, I got you. Thanks for being here. I'm glad I'm here. And I'm going to fix that and make that better. Um, I'm never going to be amazing at it. I'm going to try my entire life to learn and get better at something like that. But I can't stress enough how important a debrief is. Own what you did wrong and be open to what's going to make you better. For sure. So diving in a little bit about the actual aircraft that you are flying to film some of this stuff. I know you've got a Blackhawk, you're uh, you know, flying in a lot to film things, um, the L-39 as well. Why, why these specific aircraft? Uh, best way to break these up is picture aircraft and uh, camera aircraft. Those are industry film terms. What it means is when you say picture aircraft, that's what we see behind the lens, like when you watch the movie. Helicopter, airplane, private jet, whatever. Those are picture ships they're being pictured. And then you have camera ships that are flying the camera or have somebody hanging out with a camera, whatever. 
those are just dollying around the sky mm -hmm. to make sure that the dolly subject is in the right spots so the camera guy can shoot. So those are the two things that I fly and I like doing them both. Um, for the picture ships, the military stuff is very popular these days. I fly, the, the movie industry knows them as little birds, um, but really for us on here, they're, they're MD500s or Hughes 500s that we paint flat black or OD green and we put rockets and missiles and guns on. 500 is a really fun helicopter, very maneuverable. Uh, recently, I landed one on a moving train for a TV series called SEAL Team, which was very fun. Um, and then we fly Hueys, of course. And then, you know, this day and age, everybody wants the more popular, more modern aircraft, which is UH-60 Blackhawk. Mm -hmm. So um, I had a dream to be one of the first civilians uh, that had a Hawk specifically for the movie business. I had another counterpart, friend of mine, who did, did kind of the same thing up north. Um, but I have one that lives down here in Los Angeles and we trademarked it, the movie Hawk. It used to serve in the United States Army. It went all over the world and now it lives a really cool life going on movie sets and, you know, representing what it used to do. And I have incredible pilots. Uh, Alex Anduze is my lead pilot for it. He did tours of duty in U.S. Army all over the world. But this helicopter flies in the movie industry and it's, it's really fun to give producers a military helicopter that's in civilian hands. You can do an awful lot that way. Anyway, uh, other picture, I mean, it could be Cessnas all the way to maneuverable aircraft and jets, you name it. But the camera aircraft are very fun. Uh, and it's the art of camera movement, something that I love and have a passion for. My main platform today is the Airbus H125, otherwise known as an AS350 A-Star. Um, that's an incredible helicopter. We have some very large camera systems that we put on that. I've used it extensively in feature films and TV shows such a great platform. And I fly an aerial director of photography who's operating the camera. I don't do that. I just fly. Um, and then the Cinejet is my other platform I'm very proud of. Uh, that was me throwing a Hail Mary in 2016, knowing Top Gun Maverick was going to get made saying, you know what? I've been flying camera jets for a decade and I know we need something with a little bit more technology, a little more maneuverable. I need to build something. If this movie happens, maybe there's a chance I'll do camera jet flying on it. So I built the uh, Cinejet or dreamt it up, if you will. It's an L39. It flies a shot over camera gimbal. And I had two amazing partners, uh, Randy Howell with the Patriot jet team and Helenet Aviation. They helped me create that platform. And uh, I remember the day I got the call to, to fly on Top Gun Maverick. I wasn't sure I was going to work on it. And it was in my backyard on a Saturday morning, having a cup of coffee. And I get a call from this number I don't recognize. I pick it up and it was one of the executive producers from the movie. He said, hey, Kev, uh, you're one of the main jet guys in the world. And we know you built the Cinejet. And do you want to do the jet work on Top Gun Maverick? And I, I remember I was like playing it cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm available. That, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm pretty sure I woke up my neighbors in like a two mile square radius after I hung up that phone call. Um, and then my role evolved on the movie to be the aerial coordinator and the helicopter and jet lead camera pilots um but that's the cinejet and that's where that came from it was born for top gun maverick uh and we've continued to use it on other cool movies after top gun maverick and then i have a friend named jonathan spana who built another really cool camera platform that i flew on the movie he took a phenom 300 which is a private jet a very popular private jet and he put two shot over gimbals on that airplane uh and that came about a quarter of the way into the movie um and became available to me i had to get type rated in the airplane and Jonathan and I flew that together on the movie with two aerial DPs in the back seats because uh, we operated two shot overs at once. And that was Michael Fitzmaurice and David Knoll. Um, and it, on Top Gun Maverick, the best thing for me as the aerial coordinator for every given sequence, whatever it may have been, 
we were able to sit there with my aerial DPs and go, what's the best platform? We can, do we need the Phenom? Do we need the L39? Do we need the helicopter? Because they all do something different. They all have pluses. They all have cons. They all have things they do really good. Uh, and that was really nice to have this new technology available, all these new tools. And that's why the shots look great. I mean, we had the talent and we had the technology to help tell this incredible aviation story. I hope I know I answered your question in like a very roundabout way, but that those are the platforms I'm like. <laughs> no, that's great. And so kind of getting to more of the technical side, um, what are what, if any, really are the modifications that you've done to some of these aircraft? I mean, Blackhawk, like you said, it was flying around the world for a very different purpose. And now it's in the film industry, the L30. Now it's famous. Yeah. Yeah. What, like, obviously you're putting, you know, gimbals on and cameras and stuff. Are there any other modifications that you have had to make to these aircrafts for, for any purpose? Luckily the Blackhawk is, that is what that machine does. You know, we, we have all the cool, you know, I want to say menu items that go along with it for a production company. We could put wings on it and rockets and guns. And of course they're inert or they fire blanks. Uh, we can put fleers on it and we can basically make our Blackhawk look like a slick, just nothing on it, like a troop transport, or we can make it look like a, like a deep action penetrator, you know, wings, rockets, guns, everything like it would be 160 a store. Um, so we try to let it live in this convertible role and we put the cool stuff on it. Um, the other aircraft, you know, the L39 took extensive modifications. Uh, that's a fighter trainer, Czechoslovakian mm -hmm. built, imported into the U S really cool airplane. Uh, I would love it if it had a few thousand more pounds of thrust, though. I know they make some mods. Um, but we had to beef up the nose quite a bit. The nose is already strong. There's usually armament and stuff up there. Um, but we beefed up the nose. I should say Randy Howell and the Patriot Jet team and their engineers did that for me. Um, and we had to beef up the shot over. The shot over is this camera gimbal made for helicopters. But I wanted to put it on a jet because yeah. I wanted the best possible gear we can get. But I needed to fly fast and chase F-18s. And Shotover did an incredible job. Uh, they did wind tunnel testing to destruction and beefed that thing up, put big old gears in it and uh, motors and made it capable of doing 350 knots and three Gs. So uh, obviously that's not fast enough to pace F-18s. No. But what I do for a living is I make things look fast and dynamic. And you do that with differential speed. So if I was you know, doing a 350 knot pass or something, I'd have something ripped by me at 550. And that creates a lot of energy. It's kind of how you do that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm sure there's so many numbers and breakdowns of how you can take the aircraft and then also put all the, you know, cinematic like tricks and stuff like that on it. And speaking of, I know you kind of uh, talked about this earlier, but, you know, everything that we're seeing in Top Gun Maverick, it's it's real. It's not CGI stuff like all the filming or all the, the flying part. What, what was your reaction? Cause I know I heard this as well of people saying, Oh, this is all, this is all fake. It's not real. It's, it's all, you know, Hollywood, like glitter and glam and all that. It's a compliment. It's one of the best compliments <laughs> I do in my profession. There's nothing cooler than going out there and making something incredible and showing it to somebody. And I'm going, there's no way that's real. Yeah. That's gotta be fake. That's pretty cool. Cause you can sit there and that's real. I was there. Um, look, Top Gun Maverick, we had what I like to call aviation rules, aerial rules, if you will. The biggest rule is we can never just shoot sky. You know, we've done a lot of other movies and Transformers, uh, a lot of the Iron Man's Marvel Avengers, that type of thing. And, and I've done helicopter and jet stuff on those. And when we go shoot plate shots, if you will, of a missile going by or a uh, 35s going by, 
sometimes you're just shooting blank sky. Sometimes, not every time. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the visual effects folks go in there and they add an aircraft or an Iron Man or a rocket. Yeah. Um, we weren't able to do that. And we didn't want to do that. And heavily driven from the top of Paramount and Mr. Tom Cruise himself is everything had to be real. And the way we did that is we always had an aircraft inlet. So here's a kicker. We watch the movie and we see an F-14A flying around. We see an SU-57 flying around. Well, of course, I didn't have access to those in the United States. So we used an F-18. And when we use an F-18 as a subject aircraft, not only are the flight dynamics correct, it's moving around the air correctly and I'm sliding around and moving around a real platform and subject aircraft, but the lighting's right. The glints are right. The texture's right. And then CGI goes in on Top Gun Maverick and they reskin it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first time I saw that, I went out and I did a mission and I shot a Super Hornet and F model, the two-seater. Uh, and a couple weeks later, one of our great visual effects guys came and he said, I need to show you something. I want to get your approval. And he showed me this footage of an SU-57 in the same bombing range I was just filming the Super Hornet in. And he's like, what do you think? And I'm looking at this going, man, I, it looks like it's there with me. I can't believe that's not real. And he's like, well, it is real. That's the F-18. It's just reskinned to be an SU-57. Oh, so awesome. with that logic, that's why the movie looks so good is mm -hmm. we always have an aircraft behind the lens and it's just reskinned. It uses the lighting and the textures and the glints. So that part's pretty incredible. Another really cool Top Gun Maverick rule, no green screen. The actors had to be in the aircraft acting. If you can imagine the expense and time and effort it takes for all of them to run all of their lines and however many takes that is, they always had to be in the back of a Super Hornet uh, running their lines and saying their story points. And that's awesome. Um, and there's, there's tons of other rules, but for the, the main ones that I really love and appreciate is we wanted it to be as real as possible. Uh, if CGI was used, CGI was used to simply reskin or enhance what's already behind the lens. And that's what anybody would want in the aviation industry. Yeah. Well, like you said, great compliment there. So, uh, I guess I can't really let you go without asking, of course, what's Tom Cruise like? How is he as a pilot? Lay it on, lay it on us, you gotta know. Uh, Tom is probably one of the most motivating individuals that I've ever had the opportunity of working around. And I've done other movies with him. Um, he does a lot of things really good. He's a great pilot, by the way. One thing that I love that he does amazingly well is he inspires those around him on set to be on his page. To, he really does, like his, at his core, wants to just create the best product possible he wants to entertain the world with the best possible movies ever uh and i feel like every time he goes on a new movie he just keeps upping the standards upping 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 and i remember in the beginning of top gun maverick you know he gave us a lot of great speeches and motivational talks and there's one in particular that i loved because it set the tone and he basically said guys we're at a disadvantage we're making top gun maverick and this is following an iconic historic film and it's a sequel what a disadvantage here um, and we've all heard him say we had to wait 30 years until there was a story worth being told and 30 years. So there's technology that we can tell it. But what he told us was we had to obtain a level of cinematic perfection that had never been seen before. And it didn't matter how many takes it was going to take. It didn't matter how much it was going to cost. That makes the line producers freak out when they hear that, by the way. <laughs> I bet. What, what mattered was the movie was going to be perfect in every way. Every sequence, all the ground photography, air to air, aerial, everything had to be perfect. And I feel like the entire crew had that sense about us. We always knew every day when we went to work, when we stepped out onto the ramps or into the briefing rooms or onto set, 
that it was our job to work harder than we've ever worked before to make this amazing movie that will live on in history forever. And, you know, driven by Tom, we, I think we did that. Yeah, for sure. And of course, yeah, if anyone is watching this, has not seen it, you should definitely go hang up your uh, local movie theater, or I don't know, by the time this airs, maybe we'll be able to rent it. Who knows? Uh, but Kevin, thank you so much for coming on Between Two Wings and talking to us about all things Top Gun, aerial recording, stunt pilot. I'm really excited to see some of the upcoming things that you're working on. And yeah, just keep making movie magic for all of us to watch. Thanks, Emily. I'm glad to be here. Hope to do it again. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode between two wings. We'll see you next time. Bye.